Yo, Blockers! This is Amiyu Rakugo, and you're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastriani. Keep being awesome, and remember, watch out, a poisonous snake! So what shall it be? Do you join the unity, or do you die here? And we are live. Okay, hey everyone, Joe here, and uh, we are back with, I guess this is our fourth Hangout, which will on the uh, on the feed be episode number 85. And we got Brian getting out of his car. <laughs> yeah, we've got, uh, so we've got, what do we got, one, two, three, four, five of us here around this time, and this time we're going to chat about uh, feelies and physical things and game boxes and game manuals and basically anything that is uh, a real thing you can hold in your hand that comes with a game. So uh, I guess just to get rolling, let's uh, let's go around go around the room <laughs> or our various uh, cars and uh, and introduce ourselves. Chat'll just talk a little bit about you know if you've got anything online, where to find you. All that noise. So I'll go by the uh, the order on my little screen here, which is different on everyone else's. So uh, Brian, if you want to go first, if you're not too busy uh, avoiding traffic. No, nope, I'm parked now. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, this is Brian. I go by HD Brian and everything, and you know, same as always. So not much to say new. All right. Next up, we've got Craig. Hey everyone, I'm Craig. Uh, I tend to go by Wildman Cal, and uh, I don't know, same old. Uh, like Brian says, nothing new. I'm an aged gamer who's been around for a long time. That's why I'm excited to have you on this one, because there's some good stuff to talk about from uh, the past. So next up, we've got Martin. Hey, I'm Martin from Texas, and uh, I'm the youngest person here, I bet. May well be awesome shirt, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it is, seems uh, appropriate. it is a nice shirt. <laughs> and, nice. Yeah, and finally, we have Tomer, who is also driving. Across the deserts of Israel. Well, the whole country is a desert. Uh, so yeah, I'm Tamar Gabel from Israel. I'm your friendly neighborhood douchebag. Um, and uh, yeah, nothing new in my account uh, either. So let's get it rolling. All right. So I guess we want to talk about uh, physical things. I guess my the my, the inspiration for this one was actually. Uh, there was that uh, article that I believe Craig, uh, you posted in the Facebook group of a couple weeks back. That kind of oh, was yeah. A, yeah, a gallery of some uh, some feelies and stuff and, and boxes and whatever, and it got me kind of thinking about all those cool little items that I used to have on my shelf that came with uh, came with games and all that. So uh, I don't know. I don't really have a structure for this. Anyone want to just start throwing some stuff out there and we can start chatting about it? Oh, I uh, think. For, from my perspective, the whole reason why I think I linked that article is just because I miss box software. You know, walking into a place and actually looking at a box and going, so this is what's going to be in it, or, or this is what's in the box. Now it's just, you know, click, 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 I've ordered it on Steam because it was $1.99 and I may or may not ever get around to playing it. No, yeah, it's true. I, yeah, I know what you mean. I miss picking up a box and feeling the embossed art pop out. Mm-hmm. I miss that feeling. Yeah, no, I totally do as well. It's kind of like, I think I mentioned it, I don't know if it was on that uh, news show or a couple of shows in the past when I go on one of my little tangential rant things 
that I, I feel bad about doing after I do them. But um, do more of those. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's a lot of like, I, I always found it very exciting. Like there was that whole thing of, you know, going to the store or going to wherever or, you know, opening a gift or, and it being this box and opening it and seeing what was in it and leaping through things. And cause like I had kind of this whole like uh, ceremony when I got a new game. You know? <laughs> I would I would open it and I would see what was in there. And I, you know, I, I'd actually, I'd spend a lot of time before I even actually started installing the game or playing the game, reading through all that stuff. What about you guys? Oh, uh, yeah. Um. I I never really got a chance to buy a lot of stuff. When, when I did, it was a long card ride home because we were out in the country. So I, whenever I'd get a new game, I'd spend the entire card ride reading the instruction manual. That was my favorite part: was opening the new game, taking the instruction manual, and reading it on the way home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my most vivid one. Oh, and one Christmas I got um, this isn't a PC game, but one Christmas I got Rogue Squadron for my dad for the oh, yeah. before. But I didn't have my N64 with me because I was visiting him. So I just spent like the next week just pouring over every little detail and every little picture of the of the of the instruction manual over and over again until I got home. Awesome, Tomer, you had something? Yeah, um, I, I actually had a very different experience. It's a, the whole unboxing thing was never you know never a big deal for me. And also, I don't actually miss the the. A shopping experience where you get to go into a store and browse and all that stuff. I don't actually miss it. I find the, the convenience and immediacy of modern day distribution channels to be way, way, way worth the, the price. But what I do miss, uh, you know, not, not getting too much into the topic of feelies, but uh, I miss the artistry that went into uh, the boxes and the game manuals and that sort of thing. I never actually read most of the manuals because I'm, I'm like the opposite of RTFM kind of guy. I like to just poke at things until they break and then whine about it and then figure it out. But uh, I think uh, one of the things that is that is missing is it's no longer necessary to have a very kind of creative and, and appealing, uh, you know, box art in order to sell a game. It just doesn't matter anymore. Whereas uh, back in the day, I mean, if you consider even really, really old games like uh, Atari games, for instance, like literally cartridges for the Atari, the games themselves tended to be so simplistic that uh, a lot of times you could find in a, in a particularly good box, you could find a lot of kind of creative vision in how the artist chose to portray the game on that particular box, so a lot of times it's actually, you know, more impressive than the game in question. So that's one thing I'm I'm really dreadfully missing about kind of modern day software. But the whole, you know, wrap, unwrapping the box, reading manual stuff, that that never resonated with me. Yeah, and that's a big deal. Like I guess it's kind of it's it's gone the same way as album covers, right? I mean, like album covers used to be this incredible, you know resource of creativity and artistry and, and all that and you know those have kind of gone the way of the dodo and I think you know game boxes are now kind of the same way as long as you have a cool video on Steam then you know someone will buy your game yeah but see that's where I think I differ is I still buy all my uh, music via CD because okay. I want I want liner notes I want to look at the artwork even though it's you know it's not like an album cover but I want the artwork and I can always rip it and make it my own when I want Mm-hmm. So I still have a, a shelf of you know thousand plus CDs. Do CDs still do that? They haven't suffered the same decline of not caring about putting stuff in it. 
No, believe it or not, there's still there's still um, you know thick books, and you you know you get everything that you would normally you know you used to get. Maybe for CDs, that's important. The keeping CDs on a shelf because it is people buy CDs a lot less because of the digital age. But maybe that's one thing that's keeping them on shelves. People like you who are who are willing to buy them still for that the liner notes and stuff stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Curious. At the very at the very least, um, lyrics come with CDs nowadays. So I think it's a little a little bit different for CDs because uh, the the experience is very very different. I mean, the one thing that's that's changed remarkably over the last uh, I don't know two to three decades is that this whole concept of owning an album or, or you know owning a book, owning like the the physical visceral experience of owning something, putting it on a shelf, taking it down. Dusting it, people are are sort of highly nostalgic for. Uh, I think it was mental to the experience because I've found that uh, for me, I've I've been reading books more and more on a Kindle as opposed to to you know proper paper books. I've found that there is zero difference in my experience of music whether I'm, you know, taking the CD off the shelf, and I do have a very substantial media collection, including, you know, hundreds if not thousands of CDs and games and, and movies and stuff, but the experience of owning them might be a little bit different. The experience of actually consuming that media actually feels the exact same to me, so I don't think I'm, I'm losing out on anything by not having the visceral part of the experience. I'm kind of in between... Oh, looks like we just lost uh, lost Brian, so we'll get him back. And uh, so, interesting enough, what you just said about about that, Tomer, um, about CDs and music. So both my kid, my kids are 14 and 12, and each of them have a Kindle. Um, but they want they want their music. I mean, their their books physical, and they want their music digital. Neither of them care about CDs, but when it comes to books, they don't want to read on the Kindles anymore. They want the physical book in their hand. That's interesting, and they're, and they're the young generation. They're the yeah. generation that should be all digital. Exactly. Yeah, and I think I'm sort of the same. Obviously, I'm older than they are. So <laughs> have have you? Why? I'm I'm really curious. Do you know why mm. that they have they, that? They they like the feel of the book in their hand. Yeah, I just read an article that uh, that bookshops are making a comeback. Yeah, and I think I I've I felt that like over the past little while because I I got you know I I have I mean. They're back there. I got books, right? And, uh, uh, you know, I really enjoy reading them. And I got a Kindle, and I said, oh, you know, this can be great and whatever. And I do read on my Kindle, but I definitely like the experience more of, of a physical book. And maybe, I don't know if it has to do with the form factor, that it's kind of a still, it feels a bit awkward to hold, even if it's the right size, quote-unquote, or just... I don't know the the weight of it, or 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 the fact that there's nothing reflecting off the the page, that it's you know a matte color, and I don't know. There's just something about it that is more natural, and I don't think it's like a learned behavior or anything like that. It just seems like it's it's a natural way for me to consume visual, you know, to consume words through my eyes. I have a distinct turning point where I went from loving physical media to now I'm all about digital, and that turning point is for children. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, younger children are very destructive. For example, I had a, a book, um, <laughs> the uh, sequel to Ender's Game, I borrowed from a friend and 
she not only did she love the the book as in the words in the book, but she physically loved the the book itself. Um, I don't know if you guys have this experience where you've read a book, you know, like one of your favorite books over and over again, that the actual physical copy you own becomes, you know, something that the wear it gets on it is the, the sign of the love. And she actually told me this when she lent it to me, and I kept it in my drawer safe when I wasn't reading it. But, you know, one day for some reason, you know, some kid decided to get into my drawer and rip the cover off the book. No. And, and that's something that I, I could physically go buy, you know, another $5 version of that book, but it's not, it doesn't have that physical love that she had, you know, it's put into that book. So there was no way to, to replace that. And that's one example. Another example of getting rid of physical stuff was just um, slightly similar to what we're talking about, but uh, I, me and the kids got into Skylanders back when that started several Christmases ago, and there was an ultra-rare Skylander I happened to find, a all-silver version that was selling on eBay for like 100 bucks, And I found it at, uh, just on the rack for the normal twelve ninety nine, and and I kept that in a, what I thought was a safe place. And then, you know, my, at the time, three-year-old found it and thought it was a present because it wasn't opened yet, and she opened it. And it loses value when it's not mint in condition, you know, in box. Mm. Um, it's those moments where I... It, I was like, yeah, I'm totally done with this physical stuff. They also destroyed lots of um, discs and stuff. You know, they would, they'd want to play, you know, Wii Sports, so they would take out my Zelda um, Twilight Princess, and it, they would just set it down, and then the dog would step on it and get kicked under the couch, and by the time I found it, it was all scratched up and just completely destroyed. Um, so I'm like, you know what? Forget physical, I'm all digital now, and that way the kids just go on a menu and pick which game they want, and I do love the simplicity of it. It's, you know, it's probably added to my laziness and my fatness that I can now on, on um, I've got Steam Link now, and I love that, where I can sit on a couch and play my, my PC games, but I can now just sit down on a couch and just scroll easily through my Steam list and pick which game I want and just play it casually and then jump to something else, and it's, it's super easy, as opposed to back in the day, um, you know, even then I didn't like doing the switching. I would get the no CD key cracks and stuff like that. I, I didn't pirate my games, but with the no CD stuff, you could load the whole game on and not have to have the disc, which, of course, they were meant for pirating, but um, they worked uh, They were good for laziness, too, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I know what that, that's like. But I, did, I, I do have very strong memories of the... Um, Christmas, just like you were saying, Martin, you get a Christmas present, but you're at grandma's house and, you know, <laughs> your computer's at home, so you mm-hmm. read, and man, like you've talked about on several of your episodes, a lot of games had manuals that weren't just like a, you know, you know, install the game by going to, you know, the D drive or, you know, the A drive and, you know, whatever. Um, they, of course, always had that, but then the manual is sometimes a story or, you know, like a flight manual or something that was as if it was tangible from the universe of the game. And, and so you could feel like you know the universe before you even got home from Grandma's house. And, um, you know, that alone is irreplaceable that, that new, you know, the new generation is never going to have that feel. Because at least on games, even if you do buy a physical copy, um, it's a game disc. It may be a little flyer on the inside that's an advertisement or something, but there's, there's no manual um, on any yeah. game I've seen physically. I mean, and they started doing that years years ago where they just stopped having manuals because they could just have a digital. Plus, nowadays, games um, for consoles, they all have such um, hand-holdy tutorials that you don't need a manual to tell you anything. It's all in the tutorial. I mean, I talked about that Zelda game. I mean, 
that opening tutorial section was like three hours long, and you had yeah. to herd goats. And, and <laughs> why? Why am I herding goats? I just want to go to a dungeon. Yeah, they. No, oh, they, we lost Homer now too. Uh, Hope he can get, hopefully he can get back uh, as quick as I got back. Yeah, just I think so he got home. So. Nintendo actually was uh, heard about that complaint, and they were kind of embarrassed about it because they sat down and realized how long these the, it looked. It, uh, uh, Skyward Sword has the longest time it takes to get to your first dungeon than any other Zelda game. So the next Zelda game that came out on the 3DS, A Link Between Worlds, uh, almost immediately throws you into the action and it makes it open. Like there's hardly any tutorials. And I consider that to be one of the better Zelda games. Like it's my yeah, favorite. I love that yeah, game. I've, I've heard so many good things about A Link Between Worlds. It's making me kind of want to get a 3DS just so I can play it. You know, if you weren't so far away, I would totally let you borrow my 3DS to play because it, oh. it is definitely a great game. But this is a PC podcast, and on the forums, people get mad at me for distracting off of the subject. But no, no, no. This is that. This is the hangout. So we here. We, there's no rules. We talk about whatever. I, I love it. I mean, gaming is gaming, and you know, I, I recently got my hands on. Uh, on my on a PS4, so I'm a little more in that world again. <laughs> so, but uh, ha, ha ha ha! No, you can uh, you can love them both. I Actually, somehow I accidentally that. got all the modern consoles now, and I feel like the almost a gluttony of <laughs> of gaming. I've got the Steam Link and uh, PS3, PS4, Xbox 360, Xbox One, Wii U, all hooked up to the same TV. I'm so I'm so hovering. Right on, right over a, a Steam Link as well, because there's a bunch of games that I do want to play on the couch and that I do want to play with my wife, and she won't sit with at the computer with me. But Steam Link is great. The controller is a little, the, the Steam controller is a little hard to get used to. Yeah, it, it, but I sorry. figure I've also got a 360 controller, so I could just plug that in if I, I've got a wired 360 controller that I can yep. plug in if I wanted to. Works but, great, uh, and and the wireless receiver works good too. So. Cool. Yeah. So I guess so. Yeah. You you were talking about some of the flight manuals and stuff, and obviously, for me, the um, the first thing that popped into my head when when I settled on on the topic was uh, was claw marks from Wing Commander One. Oh yeah. And that's kind of exactly what you're talking. And I've said it a bunch of times. You know that I, I I used to keep it by my bed and I would read through it, and you know it's so in-universe that it does teach you how to play the game and tell you what the controls are and all that, but it does it in this way that really brings you in, which I think is is, is so cool. Do you, you guys play Wing Commander? Yeah. Well, not not with the Wing Commander. My first memory of, of something like that was Carmen Sandiego, the first game <laughs> came with their own atlas. I mean, it wasn't a, a real atlas, but it was the Carmen Sandiego, we're, we're in the world of Carmen Sandiego atlas. And you needed that as their, their copy protection. You had to, you know, know, you had to look things up in the atlas to properly play the game. But I didn't know as a kid that was copy protection. As a kid, I thought that was real-world immersion. Right. And in a way, it was, right, to an yeah, extent. Yeah. I mean, I was looking up things in this almanac to help me figure out where she went because the clue was she was going to a place that had, you know, whatever, you know, the world's biggest something. And I had to flip through this almanac and figure out, you know, which country or which city had this you know this thing that she was interested in to figure out where she was and and I man the memories of that was just I had a blast doing that and I didn't even realize I was learning something and that's and that, it sounds cheesy saying that but that was a good learning and now you know it's it's more obvious you're learning things in these learning games but some of these learning games like Carmen San Diego immersed you very well and taught you what an almanac was 
Yeah, that, no, that's that's super cool. Can anyone hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Yep. Fine. Oh, okay. So the microphone is back online. Cool. Yes. Welcome home. Oh yeah, thank you. Well, there's gonna be a cat walking across the camera in a second. That's okay. Mine have been evacuated from the room, but the, you might hear them scratching at the door occasionally. <laughs> They're jealous. They want to be on. They want to be on the show. I've never. Uh, the, the, my my favorite physical materials were never things that um, put me into the world. Cause I actually never got one of those. I, I never got Wing Commander one boxed or anything. Uh, my favorite ones are the ones that. Um, on top of how to play, like maybe two thirds of them were a story. And yeah, the, that I love. Yeah, Blizzard uh, did that very well with Diablo One and Starcraft One. I knew back and forth the entire story of Starcraft. I could recite the the, the story of the uh, the ex the the exile of the convicts from Earth and their ill-fated landings on another star system, and then their creation of the Confederacy and stuff like that. I used to get really, really into it. And then Diablo 1, I didn't even know Diablo 1 had a story behind it until I took, like I said, I took, the, took it off the shelf of my mom, of my dad's uh, computer and read it in the bathroom one day. I was like, oh, yeah. look at all this, like, ah, and now I know who King Leoric is. And, and all those like, game manuals turned oh, into yeah. all of these yeah, models, right? right? Like, you know, I got a whole mech of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, Christy Golden. Yeah, no, Christy Golden's yeah. awesome. But, I mean, and that's the thing that I find really cool. When you really do a lot of world building like that, it creates and I, I don't know, I'm this huge thing I have this huge thing with like with world building and with existing and you know, maybe that's why I like Star Wars so much and why I like Warcraft so much and Battletech so much because it's not so much that oh, you know, there were these games and there were these movies and there were these things that kind of exist but they put so much effort into the building of the world that I just want to know more about what's going on in that world, you know, outside of the game or outside of the story or outside of the movie you, you know, you were talking about claw marks and um, being your your favorite pack-in. Mm -hmm. Here's mine. Oh, the Loom audio cassette. I still have my audio cassette. That is amazing, and that is in great condition. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything in the house that will actually. Oh yeah, I have a boombox somewhere. But yeah, uh, that this is the best feeling I ever got because I love the backstory it told. Mm -hmm. That they spent time to put an audio drama together that I could listen to in my car on my Walkman. Yeah, that's, that's totally it's legit. really, really well written and, and produced as well. Um, also, I'm curious because uh, is this from the floppy version of the game? No, this is from um, I think this is from the CD because I still have this and I still have my book of patterns. Aha! So here's here's a, a curious uh, anecdote with regards to Loom. Um, in Israel, you actually had three versions of Loom. You had the, the English floppy version. Uh, that was exceedingly rare. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Then you had the Hebrew translated version of the floppy, uh, the floppy version of the game, uh, which was quite quite an endeavor. Actually, it was uh, very very highly successful in Israel uh, for obvious reasons. And was but, that an official translation, or was yeah, did some guy just do it? No, it was an absolutely official translation. I don't know, like what. Sort of the pro the business process uh, behind it was, but no, it was absolutely uh, an officially sanctioned version of the game. But oddly enough, it did come with a translated book of patterns, and I still have that version, by the way. Um, but for some reason, that version did not come with any any variant of the uh, audio drama. 
Mm-hmm. Like not on set, on TV, not on anything, uh, which is strange. Hmm. But then I bought, I think, pretty much the first CD game I ever I ever bought bought was Loon, uh, the CD version. That was the English version because obviously they never translated the copy. That would have been way too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the version that I got came with a second CD that had had the audio drum on it. So that's why I'm curious because I know that uh, at least in North America, even the CD versions uh, usually came with the cassette audio drama, which seems a bit strange to me, but there you are. Yeah, I, well, I think the cassettes were more uh, predominant. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Uh, my theory was that I think it's because cassette players were still a lot more common in cars and stuff like that, um, even though they were becoming predominant in, in computers and stuff. It was just, you know, really expensive to have them in your cars at the time. So, yeah, cassette was the preferred way, you know, and, and you know, that's how I listen to the cassettes. If it had come with a CD, I wouldn't be able to listen to it except for at my computer because that was the first CD player I had. Well, I'm looking at the... Um I'm looking at the copyright on this this tape right now, and it says 1989. Right, so that's you know that's like kind of early so, days for CDs. So this, really this is, yeah, if it's 89 for this CD, then this must have come with the floppy version because I don't think the CD version had been produced yet. I don't think that was produced until 1990. Yeah, I think that's that's right. So that makes sense, and. I mean, like you guys said, that audio drama is so well done, and it's it's like what, ten, twelve? How long is it? Ten, twelve minutes, something like that? Or is it longer than that? Twenty-nine, sixteen, according to the tape. Oh, oh yeah. wow! Yeah, it was about the same version. I don't remember exactly, but it was roughly half an hour. Okay. And it was brilliant. No, it's yeah, it's great, and it really brought you in, and and I think especially with the disc version, you know, because there was no voice. There, you know, there's no voice work done on it. I think it really put you in because it gave all these people voices. Like, so when you know, when when people spoke in the game, your mind kind of gave them that voice, and I think that's that's a really cool kind of uh, way to go about that. And I don't think anyone else really ever did that. Like, I think was Loom the only kind of game that came with any kind of audio? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, well, I, know, I, I know the Command and Conquer. Uh, Games always came with a CD, starting with Tiberian Sun. Well, yeah, but that, that, those tended to just have the, the soundtrack, right. uh, n- not even separately. It was just read book audio. I think uh, what Joe meant correctly from wrong, Joe, is uh, a you know some sort of ancillary content that yeah, like a supplemental audio production, oh, shall yeah, okay. we say. So one example of that is actually my the second game on my uh, feeling list that that we can also circle back to in other contexts is uh, the Seventh Guest, which the it, it came on two CDs Uh-oh. and uh, the second the second CD was also a game CD, but it had a, a pretty uh, small amount of actual actual game content. So they used up what was I think around forty or fifty minutes. Uh, of audio left over on the CD, space left over on the CD for uh, both original content music that you didn't get in the game, like the the you know two songs. One's called the game, and the other is called Skeletons in My Closet. That oh, plays yes. the and uh, also uh, a lot of kind of high quality renditions of the MIDI soundtrack. 
uh, on the second CD that you can listen to. So that's that's one example. I'm pretty my, sure there are others. My dad's uh, copy came with a VHS. Yes, th that's separate. That's yeah. that's another aspect of the seventh guest that I wanted to mention. Is first off, it came in a box that was uh, that was highly unusual. It was very very thick. It uh, it looked like a book, or at least it was meant to look like a book. And when you open up the book, you get your game CDs and your manuals, but also you get this uh, kind of depression in the box where uh, where lies a VHS tape. Uh, and that was actually sort of a, a making of featurette. I think it was about 30 minutes long of the seventh guest. And that, I think, might very well have been the first making of a computer game video uh, ever actually you know, recorded, let alone distributed with the game itself. And I thought that was, that was brilliant because the game was so big and obviously sometime during its produ production, they knew it was going to be not only a hit, but it was going to be sort of a milestone in gaming. And whether or not you like the game, you know, it is undeniable that it is a milestone in PC gaming. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I think one of the things that was um, interesting about, you know, the second CD for that one or the videotape is back then there were, you know, game studios were, were far and few between, you know, so the amount of games that came out for a PC at that time wasn't like it was where there's, you know, you know, 10 new games a week by different independent studios. So you had to have something that set your game apart from something from everybody else's. You know, people are going to go spend $50 on a game. You want to make sure that, that your game is the one that they get. Can I ask a question? How did you guys know about that on the second CD? And I'm asking because I still have my CDs, but it's in one of those jewel cases that just has two CDs in the, you know, the jewel case. I don't think I got a box because mine was a pack-in, I believe, with my um, my multimedia kit that was, you know, basically just a audio card with a, a CD drive. But I still have the discs, and I didn't know this but until right now. I had no idea there was anything else on that second disc. How'd you guys know? Well, you've got something to do tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I kept it in my attic where it's safe for my children too, so I'm gonna have to dig that out. In, in my case, uh, finding out about it is very simple. Um, being as young as I was back at the time, I think it was, must have been 10 or ish, uh, I basically tried everything I could with everything that I could get my hands on. One of the things that I would always do, as soon as I found out for the first time that uh, data disks, oh, there's trolls. Trolls showed up, yay. Now we're having a perfectly hey. good podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, That's Charles, what I do. Decided to unwind yourself and join us? No, I just, I just, uh, you know, couldn't leave well enough alone. I just had to, you know, quickly join in, join in, and say I miss you guys, and I'm sorry for not showing up at the correct time or not, you know, I'm not actually, I'm still not really feeling up to it, but I just wanted to, you know, say I miss you guys, and uh, I'm sorry for not being here. Well, it wouldn't have been a UMB hangout without you. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't bring my swear jar either, so. Um, now I've, I've been tired as hell, but I just wanted to check in on what you guys were uh, were doing without me bad mouthing me behind my back. Only a little. <laughs> Are we gonna get to see you throw up on camera? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh shit! There's a shadow in my face. Cool. There you go. We were just talking so about the seventh guest has special material on the second disc that I didn't know about. Yeah. So oh, the soundtrack. That was that was so weird that they put the entire soundtrack uh, as a single uh, audio track and not uh, 
you know, uh, you know, separated into different audio tracks. Uh, in my version, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that it's a first pressing, and I'm pretty confident that it was split up into multiple tracks. It's uh, not all mine, obviously. But no, uh, I think I remember what Troll said. I think I remember being a single track. It was. It, at least it is on my disc. I've got the disc out in my living room somewhere. I can go and get it. Although you can't see that there's there's only one audio track, but uh. but I have a copy of the soundtrack CD that was sold separately a couple years later by um, Team Fat and Fat Man. Uh, oh, yeah, the Seven Eleven thing. What's that? The Seven Eleven. Yes, the Seven Eleven uh, CD. Yeah, it's uh for the, for the uninitiated, uh, it's called Seven Eleven because it's the seventh guest and it's equal, well, kind of the eleventh hour. Uh, and Seven Eleven was a dual CD uh, reissue of both soundtracks in uh, you know remastered versions with a bit of extra content and stuff like that. It was cute. I mean, the the, so, the soundtrack so was pretty much the only thing that was even remotely half decent in the second game. So there you are. <laughs> Well, is it, is it still recorded off the sound canvas, or did they re-record the whole thing? I really can't recall. I don't know. Let me go. I'll go grab my CD and look at the liner notes while you guys continue to talk. See, even all cool. the more reason of CDs with liner notes. <laughs> I can I can tell if it, if it's still the Roland sound canvas from listening to the um uh, to the snare drum because that is such a signature signature snare drum. Um, yeah, and I the shitty ones. I had a Roland sound canvas once, and I did a bunch of MIDI files, and they all sound completely awful. Uh, but even more so because of that stupid drum kit. That's a <laughs> sound canvas. You, you know, Tomer, like you said, I've done the same thing where I put a lot of games in um, the CD player to see if they had audio on them. And I don't know. Maybe it's because it was on a second disc, or I don't know how I didn't discover it on Seventh Guest. But like Quake, the first title track was pretty cool, and I was a Nine Inch Nails fan. But the rest of the Quake audio tracks were perfect audio for the game, but they were so ambient, they weren't very good for listening to while you're driving around. Um, oh, I, I recall Trent Reznor threw a little shit fit because uh, it was marketed as a new Nine Inch Nails record on the disc, and he was like, no, no, I, no, I no. Did the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, it's, not nine, it's, not the, it's not the Nine Inch Nails you know, uh, but it is, it is a very cool soundtrack, I'll give him that. And, uh, the opening title song definitely sounded like Nine Inch Nails, but yeah, the rest of it was just really awesome ambient music that really worked great for Quake. Not so oh, good yeah. for Dragon, like I said. Well, he, he, was, he was drunk as hell. Uh, and they, they did ask him to come back to uh, do Quake 2, but they wanted more, uh, you know, hopped up uh, kind of rock thing, and he wasn't interested in doing that. He wanted to do more zoned out ambient stuff. That's no, why the Quake 2 disc soundtrack wasn't that great, in my opinion. I mean, I remember popping that in expecting more Nine Inch Nails, and it was okay, but it just... It wasn't the same. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was Sonic Mayhem, and he did, he did, he did fine. Uh, he obviously has never been near a real drum kit in his life, but uh, <laughs> he did his best. <laughs> and it's funny, for me, the my, my Quake soundtrack was, and this was like total happenstance and flukiness, was, uh, I can't remember which album it was, but it was an REM album, because I had... <laughs> The first time I, I, I got my hands on Quake, it was it was pirated. I'm sorry. I've bought it since then. I think but, everybody uh, pirated it back then. Yeah, exactly. And I think all it would do would just randomly choose like a CD or each level or whatever had a CD track. Yeah. So it would go to a CD track to uh, for whatever CD was in the CD player. And it, it, so... Go ahead. Go ahead, Ben. I didn't interrupt. Oh, I was going to say for me, the, C the CD was uh, the Prodigy album that came out around that time that had, I think... Firestarter on it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, weird that we each have these different albums in our head. Is what album happened to be in our CD tray? 
Brian, that is so uncanny. That is exactly my story. Uh, I had the fat of the land in, in that disc player, and uh, whenever you start up the first level, it goes straight to, what's that song called? But every time I hear that song, it just goes, oh, that's the Quake song. No, wait. <laughs> hey, that's so, my same experience. When I hear it, I think the same thing. Same <laughs> album with Diablo, and I kept hearing uh, Narayan Fields from that. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, superimposed on Diablo, I, you know, I don't think I've heard the, the Diablo soundtrack for year, uh, until years after, and whenever <laughs> I hear that album, I think Diablo and vice versa, even to this day. I can't oh, tell you how happy this makes me to know that I'm not the only one who played games to Prodigy. Thank you, <laughs> you guys, thank you so much. Oh, and the, uh, the, the track was Minefields, it just occurred to yes, me. Yes, that's because... it. Yes, yes, Minefields. So now that we're on this, I did want to, at some point today, I wanted to talk about the Quake disc itself, because that's what, uh, there's a few discs that I've held on to, and the reason why I've held on to the Quake disc is because it actually had on it, up until Quake, all the other games, you know, Doom, Wolfenstein, Doom Expansions, Doom 2, on its original disc with the idea of you could call them and pay them money and they'd give you an unlock key, and of course... You know, that day and age, we had uh, the, the, the Kiko generators. Right. So the reason why I kept that game, because that was also, not only was that disc my Quake disc, it was my um, Wolfenstein disc, my Doom disc, my Doom 2 disc, my Doom Expansions disc. Um, were they all on the disc? I, I didn't they know. were all full. Full versions of it were on the disc with um, an unlock program that would generate a, a code, and then you would give that code to somebody over the phone give them your credit card number, and they'd give you uh, an unlock key that was custom was to whatever way, code they gave you. And then they'd... way to get the code into, to get the actual data into your hands so you wouldn't have yeah. to go out and buy it. You'd be like, oh, I like this game. Why don't I play the other stuff? And uh, unfortunately for them, is it got cracked really quickly, the, the key gen, <laughs> where you just punch in whatever code the, the program gave you and immediately gives you the, the unlock code. You punch that in, and it thinks you paid for it and would install whichever game you did, so... <laughs> Um, that was un unfortunate that's, that's for a good idea turned bad, but that's why I kept that disc. That's one of my feelies, I'd say, that we kept that, that I still have to this day. Ron, uh, i got to ask a follow-up question, though. Doom on CD? I mean, I've been playing Doom since forever. I don't think I've ever had a CD with Doom on it. Yeah, it didn't run off the CD. It just installed it on it your, on your computer. So. Yeah. yeah. Don't you generally just pirate it off of BBS or something? That's what every, you know, all the co cool kids did back in the day. But this way you just had it. You didn't have to wait an hour to download the one meg. Yeah, that was exactly the point. Is I just got to, got to install it off the disk. It was great. Oh, can I, but it was the same installer, that, I think. Oh, sorry, man. Oh, uh, no, no problem. I was just going to say, you guys were talking about Seventh Guest when I poked my head in. Did anyone mention the VHS tape that yes. came in that box? Yes. Okay. Because it was it was not in the box that I bought, and I bought it from a legitimate software store in the U.S. around you know circa 1997, 1998, and it had the CD, it had the manual. By the way, the thing about the soundtrack is actually was in it, the manual. Was, Brian. wasn't the book style the opening book style box? No, it was a standard uh, sort of uh, uh, standard box, but it was it's it's actually way taller than most game boxes, so it, it's, that's, it kind that's of sticks your up. issue, though. I, I have both versions, uh, you know, in storage at my parents, and uh, the reissue came without the VHS tape. I guess because the novelty wore off and it was too expensive to produce or well, something. Well, I was producing this extra VHS tape, making these custom boxes for all this other stuff. So yeah, I imagine that was maybe a first run or like. 
you know, there wasn't really the concept of a special or collector's edition, but, you know, that's kind of maybe what they were getting Still, at. it was it was 1998. This was before YouTube was invented, and I was just sitting there going, I got ripped off. What were you saying about the, the manual? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. Brian, you were saying? Sorry, I think I'm yeah, like... What were you... What were you saying about the manual? I didn't get the manual because uh, mine was a pack-in with a multimedia kit. So all I got oh. was the two discs in just a little jewel case. So I didn't even know about well, the content on the second disc. Then it must have come as a surprise. But there actually, there's a there's a, a spread in the uh, manual, way at the end of the manual, that says, "Hey, pop in the disc two. Don't play track one." But yeah. and it has track, track one hurts and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, track one hurts. Because I would never have noticed it. Like, I, I don't generally read manuals, and moreover, um, the manual for the seventh guest was evidently so unremarkable, I have zero memory of it. Like, like, I, I used to... Lasting I, I used to read manuals on the crapper, and I, I still do. I still have my Space Quest manuals, my uh, stuff like that, and I, I used to read them. Also, um, of interest was the Gabriel Knight manual, not because the manual itself is very interesting, but because Jane Jensen started at Sierra as a technical writer, so she wrote her own game manual, and for some reason I found that quite interesting. Um, the manual it's, itself is not very interesting. And actually, if we're talking about Gabriel Knight, the other thing that I found interesting about uh, you know the physical media of Gabriel Knight was I got the CD version, and that box was insane. Yeah, it was huge uh, uh, Which one, the second one, The Beast Within? No, the for the original game, like the the box for the the, the disc version was a, the standard Sierra big box, mm-hmm. but the CD version was like these weird. It was like triangular. Like I don't know how to explain it. Like the bottom was triangular and the top was triangular, and they like fit into each other. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Wasn't that a special edition thing? Because I I bought the CD version too, and it just came in a standard box. It may have been, but I think when because Gabriel Knight was another one of those games that. I never had. I generally was never excited about games before they came out. The only two that I would, that I think I knew about before they released were X-Wing and Gabriel Knight. And Gabriel Knight, it was because one of my friends got interaction, and there was a whole spread about Gabriel Knight before it came out. And I'm like, oh, Tim Curry's in it, and Mark Hamill, oh my god, because I'm a big Star Wars fan, was in it. So I was like, I gotta get this game, and it was a great game. But uh, but yeah, we got the CD version because we had just gotten you know, see ROMs around that time and we wanted to hear the you know, the guys talk because mm-hmm. it was, you know, these professional voices, you know, professional actors, not voice actors, but uh and, well, and yeah, some, so some of them were. No, yeah, well, some of them were. But uh, you know, we wanted Mark Hamill and Tim Curry. Uh, not that actually, not that Tim Curry's that actually, Gabriel Gabriel <laughs> voice was awesome, but that actually reminds uh, me uh, going off topic here, I remember when they released the C D version of King's Quest six and it was a big thing that Robbie Benson was doing the voice of uh was it Prince Alexander? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember that, and actually, and and King's Quest VI was actually the first CD-ROM game I ever played. It was the the first thing I got after I got my CD-ROM. I remember uh, they made a big stink because I, I I recently played Normality. Well, recently, it's quite a, wh- a while ago actually. But they made a big stink out of it uh, when they released it in the U.S. because uh, the uh, the entire uh, voice cast was replaced with American actors, and they got Corey fucking Feldman in to voice the protagonist. <laughs> now the 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 British guy. I mean, it's a British game, uh, and the British voice actor is annoying enough. And then they get Corey fucking Feldman. <laughs> I was like, oh dear. So the version you buy on GAG thankfully has the British voice cast. I don't know how to get the... the I think there's a patch somewhere where you can download the American voice cast, but uh, I have no intention of going through that fucking game anyway, so... Oh, uh, Tomer, have a drink. 
I wanted to ask about the Gabriel Knight box. I was really hoping that one of you guys would actually have that to, for like a show and tell because I remember that box and I really wanted to see it again um, and haven't seen it. I'm sure I could look it up on the internet, but I was hoping one of you guys would have it to show. It sounds like nobody still has that. I yes. got rid of mine. The only it one I have very Gabriel Knight is I have the Gabriel Knight collection with um, Sins of the Father and Beast Within, and I bought it because it came with A, the novelization of Sins of the Father, and B, it came with the soundtrack CD, which is so rare to find. Oh, I love nice. the, the artistic aspect of those boxes, but the uh, the organized freak of me hated how they didn't stack well on my uh, my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of game boxes that don't stack well, I bought uh, Tex Murphy Overseer in this weird um, in this weird box that uh, had you know the uh, the front cover of uh, Overseer has this uh, uh, lighthouse in the background, um, and they they put in a little LED bulb that uh, that uh, blinked. In the uh, you know the top of the uh, of the lighthouse, uh, so the so the box actually ran on battery, and uh, thankfully it it ran out of battery at some point, probably when my kid brother sent it or something. But that thing would stand on my shelf, and not only was it you know too big and kind of uh, it, it didn't it didn't fit in with the rest of the uh, boxes on the shelf. It also would when you when you turned off the light, that thing would just sit there and blink. There was no way to turn it off. So that was. Annoying as hell, but uh, yeah. So, so for those of you watching, for those of you watching the video version of this, I ah. just screen shared the the Gabriel Knight CD box. So yeah, that was always very uh, memorable. What the hell is that thing? It's like modern art or something. It it's is crazy. Awesome. So, but yeah, the top piece comes out and it kind of like it's it's straight on the bottom. But yeah, they kind of slide into each other. So you have to kind of dump all of the content of the box into the top piece upside down. And then kind of put the bottom piece on, so it was kind of weird and awkward, but it was cool. But yeah, like Brian said, it definitely didn't fit on my shelf properly, which no, kind of not, well. And besides not fitting on a shelf, it was a pain in the ass to get uh, to open and get everything back in. Yeah, because everything would just kind of dump out of it once once you opened it. <laughs> the only dumber box I can think of is uh, what's it called, Microcosm. Have you Microcosm. guys seen that? Uh, the Microcosm box, which is this big rectangular thing. Uh, that doesn't fit, and it doesn't fit on a shelf anywhere, and the actual CD itself is in this little cutout in the middle of the box, so you have to basically put your fist through the box to get the CD out, and then the uh, manual is sort of rolled up like a parchment and stuffed into the top of the box. There's this little compartment in the top of the cardboard that you can open and pull the manual out, and it's all curled up and squished because, you know, yeah, that box but, is stupid as hell. But that's... <laughs> But that 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 owning that version was worth it because having that game on CD, it had the soundtrack on CD, and that was one of the great soundtracks from from a, a really shitty game. <laughs> yeah, the game itself was awful. But the music is phenomenal. I mean, I mean, you think Rebel Assault is a shit game, and Joe, it is. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. But, uh, I agree. But, but oh, Microcosm was was actually worse. <laughs> you yeah, know, let's uh, all pick I, on Rebel Assault. <laughs> I played Microcosm on the the Sega CD, so it didn't have a fancy box. Yeah, I'm trying to find a picture of it, but I'm I'm not able to. So they're all just like standard box shots. You guys can go and Google uh, uh, the Spoony one. You know, the video reviewer. He did a review on Microcosm, and he uh, goes into great pains and details about the box itself. If you search for uh, Microcosm PC box, I found it. Uh, okay, here. Let's see if I can pull that up. Because I like, I, you know, I don't usually do video, so we can use the uh, <laughs> use the medium. And everyone else is just quiet and anxious and waiting for Joe. 
keep fucking everybody. <laughs> so it looks like no, so I'm it actually... looks like it's square, but it's got an opening in the middle or something. Is that what it was? Yeah, exactly. It's it has yeah. this little cutout in the middle, and it's just it's just dumb. No one thought this through. <laughs> no, I was I was looking up uh, my rip of Microcosm Suite, and I remember why I liked it. The music is done by Rick Wakeman of Yes. Oh, cool. Jeez. Why would he put his name on such a shit? Oh, wait, Brian May it's, and Rise of the Robots. Never it's, mind. It's, it was Cygnosis. I mean, they're a European company, so they were, at that point, they were the high end. Do you remember all the, the cool stuff, Shadow of the Beast and all the other things that they did? So at the no. time, they, 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 had, they um, had money. I, I remember Lemmings. That was probably Lemmings' <laughs> money that got Rick Wakeman in. Um, oh, speaking, oh, uh, Joe just found the microcosm yeah, so box. There we go. Yep, so yep, yeah, here's the little cutout in the middle where the, the yeah. disc goes. Well, yeah, it's definitely interesting. That's stupid. What the fuck am I looking at is another way of putting it. Yeah, that's uh, also a possibility. You can't, you can't really tell uh, from, the, from the screen, but yeah, that bit in the middle, that's the actual CD, and you can't just you know, get your fingers in. You have to physically punch to get the CD out. You have to physically put your fist through it. So do you guys remember when you'd get a new game, so this is a little bit later, when you'd get a new game on CD and you'd open up you know, the jewel case and you'd start try and take the CD out and the jewel case would be so tight that you'd basically <laughs> almost have to break the CD in half to get it out. I was always terrified. I'd just snap the thing in half. Oh, I did that tons of times. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I, and because I was, was so always rare, afraid too. That was, it was so rare to get the game. Um, it was just the pressure was doubled. It was like, here I am trying to pull StarCraft out. And it bends almost 90 degrees just to get it out. And and I'm, like, oh! yeah, I'm 11 years old. I don't know what to do. Did anyone ever have one actually break, though? No. The, the, only, the only thing that was worse than those tight-ass tight uh, jewel cases was the, uh, the early LucasArts CD-ROM games, which, which didn't come in, in jewel cases. They came in these weird cardboard foldings uh, that would scratch the hell out of your CD. Uh, so my dad actually cut oh, those into yeah. pieces and put them into uh, jewel cases so the yeah. CDs would survive. Rebel Assault came in one of those. That was shit. Yeah, it was like well, a well, shit game as well. It doesn't matter if you scratch the Rebel Assault disc. It's okay. <laughs> No, that's no good. I mean, it's going to play the same regardless. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> I'm going to get Rebel Assault. I'm going to stream myself. I'm going to school all of you guys. Do it, because if you're, I mean, if you're good at Rebel Assault, you should join, like, MLG or something and win a million dollars. It was so painful to watch you do the asteroid field because you, you don't turn. You just, Marker, I'm going to I'm gonna you, you don't turn. And I'm going to go realize away. that you're, you're, not, you're on this pan... And uh, it's uh, just like, <laughs> you're not you're not impressing anyone with by being good at rebel assault. Saying that you're I'm, good at rebel assault is like saying I'm good at doing taxes. Well, great, fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna get myself a job at Google, specifically at YouTube, just so I can invent a freaking algorithm that whatever detects rebel assault is <laughs> at the person's house or something. I don't know. That game deserves to be wiped out of history. You guys, Craig, what do you got? What do you got, Craig? Craig's got a thing. Too harsh. Well, so since we're talking about pack-ins, I, I I pulled out the. If you can see this. This is the collector's edition of Neverwinter Nights. Yes, sir. Oh, like with oh, that shiny embossed boobies. Well, <laughs> so I still have the T-shirt sealed in its package. Awesome. There's oh, nice. the cloth. There's the cloth map. Um, and then there's the art of Neverwinter Nights collect uh, book in here. So. 
that was one that's really cool. One of these days, I might actually have to crack open this thing and see what size this T-shirt is and if I actually fit in it. Oh, don't, don't leave leave it for your kids. Like it's for gamers. It's probably like a T-shirt. It's for gamers. It's probably like a three XL. <laughs> but and then, and then here's another one I pulled out. Have you ever played Ultima uh, Nine? I have not played any Ultima, and I'm sad. Neither have I. With but I have not played any Ultima, and I'm glad because so I suck at RPGs. The, uh, end game material, the inbox material was useless and, and didn't represent the actual game? Or is that a different Ultima? Uh, that might be a different Ultima. I think it might have been 7. But this one is tons of... Pa- I mean, this has got tons of pack-ins, including uh, tarot cards. The, you know, and we all know what Ultima is always uh, famous for. It's... Cloth maps. Yep, that is so cool. Um, what else did this one have? This one had f- fake, fake leather manuals. <laughs> oh, nice. And then it had wh- another thing that Ultima was always famous for was uh, an onk keychain or mm-hmm. an onk uh, thing that you could add to a necklace. Boy, they went oh, all out. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost makes you wonder because, like, you know, this stuff isn't like inconsequential in in cost to to produce, right? And these things, did these games cost more than other games? Yeah. I don't think so. Oh, yeah, and this it also came with a print of the the box, the the box. Well, they I'm do. Sure I mean, they cost more. you, have to, they cost you more. have to remember that sixty dollars for a PC game back in nineteen ninety was like maybe almost a hundred dollars today. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a big investment, and you know, like. Craig said, you know, you had to make it so that someone spent their $60 that they might, you know, buy one or two games a year or three games a year or whatever, they'd spend it on your game. Well, so one of the things I always do uh, is every time um, Blizzard releases a collector's edition of any of the World of Warcraft expansions, I buy I buy it. I, so I have every collector's edition from the World of Warcraft expansions, and I do it for one reason and one reason only. It comes with a soundtrack CD. Yes. And like you, Joe, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, game music, so mm-hmm. I have to have the CD version of it because I'm anal that way. Well, if you don't want the keys, you can give me the keys so I can get the pets. No, I, oh, I, I, I use those too, but I mean, for, it's all about, you know, I like, I like the fact that they have a collector's edition where I can get a soundtrack and there's a mouse pad and there's an art book, but I always get the collector's edition because of the music. I just remember yeah, I, I had a uh, I had a, a big uh, a bag of uh, game boxes under my bed. I'm sitting there. Trying to pull them out, see if any of them are interesting, and none of them really are, except for this gigantic Black Dahlia box. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it up to a game that's uh, similar. I mean, it's a normal a size. Goria box, and that's the Black Dahlia box. It's insane, but it's got eight CDs in it, so. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think, and I'm not think, like there were pack-ins and stuff in Sierra games, but not that much, really. If I'm trying to remember, which game and which version? The Leisure Suit Larry collection was uh, chock full of stuff. Mm-hmm. I like I remember, I remember Larry Five having some unique manuals. Oh, I gotta grab my Larry, my Larry box. Hold on. There we go. Oh wait, I actually, I found, I found my uh, seventh guest. Uh, box and it's the size yeah, of Black Dahlia. Mm-hmm. I can I can tell right away that's your issue. Yeah. It's a smaller box. It's not book shaped. It doesn't have the VHS tape. Same game, uh, but I think the box is that the reissued box is actually I don't know. I find it ugly, but uh, like I said, I have both. It's ugly. Sin. Also, Which it ones? has uh, quotes across the back of uh, of, of Stauff's head. 
that says the best-selling CD game. So obviously it's a re-release. They couldn't put best-selling CD game on the first edition. They could just assume. <laughs> yeah, because no one else was doing CD games at the time. It's like when they print T-shirts for both teams in the final of whatever. You know. oh, the world's is. best full-motion video game. Oh, yeah. Some, oh, somewhere, oh, that, that, would, that would be somewhere. this one. I still have that one, Trolls. Trolls, I'm surprised you do have that one, considering how much you love it. <laughs> it's actually not mine. I stole it, uh, or actually, a friend of mine gave me all of his uh, his old game boxes, uh, including this one, which is out on iOS and Android. And there, and a uh, remaster is supposed to be coming out. That's going to be the next thing from uh, what are those a remaster do? of like, uh, I yeah. have no mouth and I must scream. Does that mean that the you know characters will actually do what you tell them to this time? I mean, uh, in the original, <laughs> they moonwalk all over the place, and uh, the hit detection is terrible, and or hit detection. I mean, the pathfinding is terrible, and all that shit. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. Maybe they want to maintain the original uh, frustrating. Oh, dot. First mm-hmm. ever game box I ever bought. It is. Absolutely busted to shit. There's a cello tape or what's it called, sticky tape uh, on the sides of it. But this thing came with a free hint book. Oh, you mean this one right here? Yeah, <laughs> that, would, that would be it. See, I had that at one actually, point too. I can't even get this thing open. <laughs> I remember the LucasArts hint books were like a weird. They were like very weirdly shaped. They were very tall and narrow. Yes. Yeah. So was the game manual. So, uh, in the spirit of one-upmanship, I mean, I can't show it to you because it's not my parents, but one, one game that I have to add to the mix that also had a bunch of feelings uh, um, kind of included in it is uh, Star Control 2, which uh, actually came with this, uh, at least the original version, actually came with this humongoid map of hyperspace in the game that was combination... Um, combination copy protection and just a really, really cool map you can hang on a wall or something. Um, for a, for a second, I that. thought you said mongoloids. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is that? Well, well, I'm I'm mentally challenged, man. Well, I was trying to show you guys. Here's my, my yeah. copy of uh, Larry Six. I don't know if you can see. Ooh, oh, look at that. Nice one. But awesome. it's, it's, awesome. auto- it's personally autographed from Al Lowe. And where did you? How did you get that done? Wow. So I, when I told you guys, I think last hangout when I worked for Creative Labs, I met mm. Al at a um a, uh, a trade show, and uh, I offered to send him a, a a sound card, and he asked what I wanted in exchange, and I said, how about you send me a copy of Larry with a uh, with my uh, your signature on it? So he did. He's like, sure, I got a pile of these. <laughs> That's great. The, the I got a, I got a, actually, I got something rare. I got Space Quest Six signed by Scott Murphy, even though he. Desperately wants to forget that game. <laughs> yeah, well, they just keep working on uh, their their current game. I uh, mm-hmm. I have a, a copy of Star Fox for the Super Nintendo signed by Miyamoto personally oh, wow. for me. Ooh, yeah. that? Okay, that wins. That wins. <laughs> I don't have it on me. It's in New Jersey, but it's on my Facebook. It's actually um, I, I I bragged about it on 4chan. And, uh, How did that Kotaku, go? <laughs> Kotaku, well, they, people went crazy over it, and the Kotaku, uh, Kotaku wanted to talk to me about it, so I sent them all the information. So now there's a Kotaku article about my cartridge got signed, but they twisted it because they're Kotaku. And uh, the thing is, is I sent a letter to to Miyamoto uh, out of the blue with just like it was just like it was it was like some weird like thank you letter for helping me get through some hard times, and I didn't think anything would come with it, 
and I put my cartridge of Star Fox in there, my childhood cartridge, and just sent it away because it was I was I was trying to like grow up at the time. I was going through some stuff, you know how it is growing up, mm-hmm. and I just kind of forgot about it. And about four months later, it comes the cartridge comes back to me, and it's like Miyamoto, you know, you know, thanks you for sending a letter, and you couldn't play your game because he doesn't own a Super Nintendo, <laughs> but he signed it for you, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm like, what the hell? This is awesome. <laughs> Regions and shit. Yeah, yeah, and so Kotaku ran an article that read, Miyamoto doesn't own a Super Nintendo. It's like, of course, <laughs> like, because that's totally the point of the That's story. the point of the, right? <laughs> that was so good. Like, I can link it to you if you want to see it. <laughs> sure. It, it's, it's, that's, it's, that is ethics and games journalism right there. Right? Boom! <laughs> boom! I go boom, but... Uh, I think awesome. We're, I think we're past that joke at this point. Nah, it never um, ends. You lost the right to use that joke after the first season of... Uh, you know, there it is. Finally, so. <laughs> yeah, we, and then we, then we went straight into season... No, the first season of Open Crowdsource, it was uh, it was that uh, Lost Prophets uh, lead singer slash pedophile. He was our <laughs> running joke. And uh, now the joke is that Gareth hates everything. Or but he has does. Because he does. But why is that... Sorry? I didn't catch that. Why is that a joke, though? Um, well, it's not really. It's the truth, but we'd laugh yeah, about it anyway. <laughs> well, anyway. So uh, who's up next with uh, another entry into the Philly thing? Well, dear lads, I think I'm going to call this one in. Uh, I'm just going to go and... Because uh, I, I haven't eaten all day, and uh, um, so I should probably go and do that. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I think it's about 8 o'clock. If you want to feel no better, you've got to eat some trolls. Yes, Got a, yeah. Way over it. Uh, but thank you guys for uh, uh, indulging me uh, on my shitty connection phone thing here. So uh, actually, it's been the most it. solid you've ever been. Yay! <laughs> I'm not drunk. That must, that must be it. I'm also that. <laughs> well, in honor of you joining us, let me just you know part with these words with you and say fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck. fuck. <laughs> so uh, I'll drain the rest of my beer for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Troll, before you go, I think you're, uh, th- there's one item on my list that... Are, are we limiting ourselves to PC games? No. Okay, nice. so I have one item on my list that I feel Trolls would particularly enjoy. Um, so some of you might have played a Dreamcast and uh, subsequently released on PlayStation 2 game called Res. Um it's pretty famous for being a. It, it's a real shooter. It's very unique. It's inspired by the art of Kandinsky. Uh, it's also a really, really good game, well written and interesting, and blah blah blah. Uh, that's not the interesting point. The interesting point is that it came with an attachment, an optional attachment that you could buy separately. Separately, that's literally called the Res Trans Vibrator. Okay. Now, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take this link, post it on the chat, and just wait to see your faces. <laughs> I can't actually open the chat from here, I think. Well, in that case, let me just email you the link because I feel that it's going to be worth it. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I'm glad Bye. I'm not at work. <laughs> and I have it. Yes, I've tested it. And wow. that's all. How did you test it? That wow. is all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, did, you, did you send it? I can't see it. 
I, I, I emailed it to you, so you should probably have it in like a few seconds. Okay. For some let's reason, just, I feel blessed say, that I can't see it. Let's just say it does what Ooh. you think it would do. Oh, I sent it to your uh, uh, Flamert. How do you pronounce your last name anyway? Not DK. Flamert. Flamert. So I sent it to you at Flamert. Someone is actually using it for. Is is that what it's for? Yeah, that must be what it's for. Oh, nice. It's 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 exactly what you think you would use a vibrator to do if you were a lady. Oh, you're back, right? This is almost this is almost as stupid as that person who invented a. um, a speaker that you insert into the vagina to uh, play music to your fetus. Uh, <laughs> Someone did that. Like, I'm not making that up. Yeah, that, not, that was at like, this year. There's, there's more body tissue in the way than through the vagina if you just put the headphones over the belly, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like it has to, it has to do more work. It has to travel <laughs> more distance. <laughs> once, once it actually gets to the fetus, it's just like whale song. <laughs> oh, God. I'm so, uh, oh, Tomer, thank you so much for ending this on a, on a, on a pussy joke. Uh, exactly. <laughs> hey, there was no joke involved. But regardless, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think this gives a, a very new definition to the word feely. <laughs> yeah. I think you might actually win with that one. That is that is most definitely a feely. Welcome Drop to the mic. After dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have a few other ones, but this is uh, undoubtedly the the most uh, I don't know esoteric <laughs> one. All right. So I'm I'm gonna take off. Thank thanks again, guys. That was well, a, thanks for that dropping was a blast. Yeah, okay. well, next time I'm there for the duration, guys. Yes, sir. Awesome. Next time we're getting drunk again. Yes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Cheers. Boom. Boom. All right, so what else we got? Uh, Go ahead, Brian. Um, (laughs) No, I was... um, One of the things I really enjoyed about Command & Conquer is that when you bought the game, it came with a really nice tech tree... And I would used to hang up the tech trees in my room. Mm-hmm. And in uh, Command & Conquer Red Alert 2 in the special edition, it came... Uh, I was so mad about this, but it, there was two... You got a random pewter figure. You could either get the Telsa Trooper, which I got, or the Chrono Legionnaire. And I was mad that I couldn't have both. Uh, and it also had, like, uh, like a really cool... Uh, like bendable, like it was like it was like you you could fold it to like a triangle or like a like what's it called? Uh, it was like a prism, and uh, it had different tactics for each side that you would play as. So you would have a, uh, you you would have like a, one that was computer commands, and you had Soviet and allies, and like different sub factions, and some different combos that you could use. That's really cool. Yeah, did you not know that? About the the Peter figures for Red Alert? No, I didn't know that. No, I, I, um, was it Red Alert? They also did it for Tiberian Tiberian Sun Dawn. Dawn. No, uh, no, no, Tiberian Sun. I'm sorry. Yeah. There was a Peter figure. You, you either had one or the other. One faction, not uh, GDR nod. Yeah, I remember those. Those are actually super rare because they they didn't do it as much as they did this, this on Red Alert too. I never got a chance to get a hold of any of those. I don't know if I still have my copy of of that. 
Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, you might be you could get both of them if you wanted to. You just had to uh, buy multiple copies of the game. Correct. Yeah, and the thing is that I didn't take care of my boxes as a kid. Like I, I tore them up, and like, I didn't, I didn't literally tore them, but I just threw them around and didn't take care of them. But I wish I had because the Red Alert Two Special Edition box had the Twin Towers on fire. And oh wow! Red Alert Two came out a month before September 11th happened. Yeah, you know they would have edited that had it come out a little bit <laughs> no, they, after. They, they did. They had to pull back uh, boxes and do a, do a second re-release oh, of, wow. of the initial orders. So the, the Twin Tower box is actually really rare, and I had it. Yeah, and I mean, and I was such a huge fan of stuff like like poster-type stuff, you know, like either the Tech Tree or, like, you know, the... I, I think I've said it a hundred times. I had the Wing Commander 1, uh, you know, blueprints on my wall because oh. those were incredible. And uh, I've mentioned it, but I have to. I have to thank Brian Demodulated again for basically giving me a box copy of Wing Commander One, which is ridiculous. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, I go so, in there, so I, I pop it open, and I'm like, oh. Was it was it factory sealed? It wasn't factory sealed, but it is in amazing condition. Wow. So I just put up a picture. I don't know if any of you can see it. Um, this wasn't a this wasn't a pack in per se. But if you played Ultima Underworld and you finished the game at the very end, you could write in to the company and they would send you this certificate letting you know that you had completed the game and saved uh, the princess. <laughs> and I still have my certificate. That reminds me of something that I discovered as an adult. Um, there was a Super Nintendo game called F-15 Strike Eagle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by Microprose. I'm not sure how much it has in similar to the other F-15 games that they did on the PC. Oh, that's so cool, dude. That is legit. Joe, can you pop that up? I can't see it very well. There we go. I don't know if you can... It's on, it's, uh, I'm sharing it on the uh, yeah. uh, contraption there. Is it, is, is it like... Uh, is that handwritten? And they actually had to, had to they, write... They, they, they handwrite your, hand your name in. I'm not seeing it, Joe. I don't know why it's not showing up. Oh, one sec. Let me make sure I'm doing this right. <laughs> I saw it. Says I'm screen sharing, so anyways. Anyway, um, what, what I was saying is at the very end when you beat the game, which was a terrible climax, it just ends. Uh, as, uh, as a child, I couldn't beat it, and as an adult, I was like, I'm going to beat this game, and I did it. At the very end, there's a giant screen that says, congratulations, you beat F-15 Strike Eagle, right into this address with the code word, you know, whatever, and we'll send you an uh, a F-15 technical uh, manual for if, if you include five dollars or whatever. I was like, oh, that's so cool, but it's like 2009, and <laughs> that address is worthless to me now. And I wish I'd uh, wish I'd known it as a child. Oh, that's like what was it? Uh, I can't remember. Was it Lazy Game Reviews that did the uh, the Red Baron pizza? <laughs> that came in Red Baron, and he he went and he re- and and I think he actually was able to get like the whatever it was one dollar off of a Red Baron pizza. That's, like, that's twenty that's years after the game came out or something. <laughs> that that they did something similar to uh, a, a factory sealed Ninja Turtles uh, VHS, where it came with a bunch of Pizza Hut coupons. And the manager <laughs> they recorded themselves going in, and the manager honored them, even though they were like twenty years out of out of expiration. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, if they don't have... Well, because I think all of, this one didn't actually have a uh, an expiration date on it. Oh, so that's Lord. Why had to, <laughs> that's why they had to honor it. I mean, really, it was like a $1, $1 off, like a $3, like, frozen pizza, so who cares? But <laughs> <laughs> That's great, dude. 
And I know I want to bring up, uh, again, because I'm a ridiculous Star Wars fan, uh, X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Uh, the collector's editions came with... Uh, oh, yeah! The yeah. Far, yeah, the Farlander papers and the... I can never say... I don't know if it's the Steel or the Stelle Chronicles. It's Steel. Yeah, American is it? Steel. Yeah, and so, yeah, those those are really great. And those stories are actually reproduced and then extended in the uh, the strategy guides. Mm-hmm. So those are awesome. I actually have... I, I have to go downstairs in the basement and get them, but I have I have both of the strategy guides and... They're actually fun. You know, basically every once in a while I'll read through them. I actually, I'll skip, like, the actual mission, you know, the mission after action reports, but all the stuff in between where it's like, oh, and, you know, like, uh, Keen Farlander is, like, figuring out that he has force powers and he, like, doesn't like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I was super, I was super uh, into reading those books because, um, again, when I was a kid, my dad had uh, given me all of his X-Wing discs because he had made copies for himself. But my sister had lost a manual, so I couldn't get yeah. past the copy protection. So you must register, uh, right? So I thought I could, I thought I could kind of steal my dad's X-wing strategy guide. But at the time, I didn't know that was the CD version, so I didn't have any of the stuff that I needed to get through the copy protection. And I never, like, I don't know, I had internet, but it never went through my head that uh, in 1995 you can go to the internet and find your copy protection. You could you could Alta Vista it or yeah. or or Lycos yeah, it. Alta Vista, I haven't <laughs> heard that one in a million years. Holy smokes! Yeah, I I just never occurred to me that I could have just looked up the DRM stuff as a kid. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just like then. Oh, it's just crazy fun, stuff. Fun fun fact for mm-hmm. Keen Farlander and Merrick Steele. I am an avid player of the X-wing tabletop miniatures game. Mm-hmm. It's a it's it's a miniatures game that has a deal with the starfighters. It's really fun. But uh, Kean Farlander and Merrick Steele both have an appearance in that game as pilots. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. And so does, uh, so does Azamon from Alliance. My, my project for tomorrow is to build this thing. All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, I actually, I've been wanting to get into that tabletop game, if only for the, for the miniatures, because they, they look like they're, they're very, they're very well done. They're well-painted... I haven't had a single issue with any of them. I've spent way more than enough money. Um, I have one of each ship right now, um, even the larger ones, and I play very avidly. Oh, that's super, super cool. So who else has got stuff? I got a couple more, but uh, we can we can throw some of you guys in there. Once my kids uh, are all moved out, then I'll get into those tabletop games that require miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> or at least once they're old enough to not eat them. Oh. And uh, you know what? Even my uh, 11-year-old still likes to take cool things and play with them and take them to school to show, look what my dad has, and then it never comes back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, my, look what my dad doesn't have anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what else you got? Anyone, anyone? Or I can do another one. I could go next if no sure. one has something on their plate. Yeah, go for it. All right, so I have a few. Uh, I'll, I'll start with one. So there's the original, uh, the original CD release of uh, Dune, uh, as in the, the adventure game from Cryo. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, at least with the CD version, I don't, I've never actually seen a boxed floppy version, so I couldn't say if there's anything different there. But the CD version came in a strange box that sort of, uh, you know those kind of cardboard cutouts that when you when you unfold they open up and you know become this 3D whatever it is that they're built to, to resemble. 
So that uh, that particular game actually came out in a box that, when unfolded, becomes this uh, sort of desert landscape with a sandworm uh, popping out of it. And I thought that was actually pretty cool for the time. No, that is cool. Um, are you talking like it's like a pop-up book like they have for toddlers? But like, uh, Yes, I think so. That's awesome. Yeah, that, I thought that was pretty awesome back in the day. It was also pretty original. I don't think I've, I've seen that particular thing before. But uh, that was actually only one of the two things that was uh, truly, truly awesome about that, that particular release. Um, the second is that I don't think this was a tie-in. I think this was... Uh, released separately along with the game, but the game's soundtrack, uh, which is colloquially known as Dune Spice Opera, mm-hmm. uh, was released as a, uh, as a full-blown CD album by a label called Exos, uh, E-double-X-O-S. Now, um, Exos is, is actually evidently the original name of Cryo Entertainment, which is the, the developer, the company that developed the game. So there are several things you can say about the soundtrack, which was uh, written by Stefan Peek and Philip Ulrich, and I'm probably mis- mangling their names badly because yeah, they're... That sounds, sounds accurate enough. Okay. Uh, so first off, it's, it's probably one of the best game soundtracks, uh, I feel at least, that I've ever heard. Uh, and the original ad-lib version from the PC version uh, is still widely considered to be quite possibly the best soundtrack ever written for, you know, FM synthesis uh, sound cards or OPL 2 or 3 uh, based sound cards. Yeah, it's but amazing. The Cedar rendition I thought was not only just really, really, really fantastic sounding in its own right, um, it's also one of the first examples of a, of a game soundtrack being separately released and also... It's, it's not just a recording or rendition of the original soundtrack. It's actually a, a full-blown, you know, kind of sequenced uh, synthesizer-based soundtrack that's, uh, that I at least find fantastic. And for years and years, it was a highly sought-after and extre- exceedingly rare collector's item. Uh, and it still is, in a sense, but... Uh, yeah, interesting I'm things. still looking for that CD. I can't find it. So two, two interesting things that happened uh, in the interim. The first is that I think circa 2002 or 2003, something like that, uh, Stefan Peek, you know, I wouldn't want to do anything, but he sort of posted uh, in response to someone uh, asking a question on a forum somewhere. He posted that, you know, the, the game soundtrack, uh, this will never be reprinted. It was pretty, you know, pretty unusual uh, to begin with, and it's not likely to ever get reissued. But uh, internet piracy being what it is, I have the feeling that MP3 versions of the, of the soundtrack will be, you know, <laughs> will be able to be found, uh, you know, you'll be able to find them sometime soon. And sure enough, within about a week, uh, you could actually find MP3 rips of the soundtrack, albeit at, at pretty low quality. But uh, I was simply blown away because it was the first time I'd ever listened to the full-blown soundtrack, um, which I thought was a really cool gesture on Stefan's uh, on Stefan's part. So you can actually find uh, this this album for listening online pretty easily. I think it's even up on YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where, that's I, got where it. I got it. From, yeah, from uh, 
when I put it when I put it, it's a little bit of it on the show. I just grabbed it from YouTube. Yeah, I have a rip of it in uh, at high, the highest you can do for an MP3. Yeah. So I'll save, I'll save the second anecdote for when I come back in about half a minute. So someone else pick up the slack. I'll be right back. <laughs> so I got one. Sure, go. Um, I I've seen reference on uh, that it was on the PC, but everybody knows this for Xbox. Have you heard of Steel Battalion? Yes. I mean, as far I mean, you could call this a feely. You had to play with this. Uh, controller that had over 40 buttons. Oh, yeah, that thing's crazy. i got to find a picture of that. I thought that was uh, 200 buttons. Um, because uh, it, maybe. because they, they, they count every toggle as a different button. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I think this physically, thing is... Yeah, it's a beast, you know, with pedals and everything and two, two uh, joysticks and a center console. People, people still buy the Steel Battalion uh, controller and uh, adapt it for PC use using adapters because it's one of this. It's just one of the most robust uh, control systems around. A travesty, though, is that the sequel to Steel Battalion was a oh, strictly connect only don't, game. Don't talk about it, man. It's so bad. <laughs> so they went from one spectrum to the other. It's like just total. Yeah, there we go. Uh, one of those buttons turns on your your windshield wiper. Oh my. That's how ridiculous this game was. Like that's insane. I know a lot of yeah. people take this and they try and adapt it to, for use with like uh, you know a lot of mech games like Mech Warrior Online and and stuff like that. Like they'll they'll use this. <laughs> and yeah, it's and see, great. that isn't technically that's not an accessory. That's a pack-in because you needed that to play the game, and the game came with that. Um, as opposed to other, you know, they. You know, like a, a wingman controller or something like that is an accessory. Yeah, it would just make it, make, it, make it more fun or whatever. But yeah, this was like, for the game, needed for the game. You bought them together. You didn't buy them separately. Um, it, it was it came in the box, and you know it's hard to find the game at at stores because they wouldn't carry more than like three copies because it would take up the entire aisle of Walmart to to carry enough copies to to keep in stock. So would the game actually like not be playable without this? Like the game wouldn't no, start. The game, nope. the game, you can't even turn on your mech without the without the thing. There's literally a start button. Yeah. To turn on the mech, so yeah, yep. That is super cool. I mean, it, yeah, because I know every <laughs> once in a while I look into like crazy control schemes and like you know for mech games and like Euro Truck Simulator and you know. From what I understand, the game um, doesn't have any LAN support, but it had Xbox Live support. <laughs> So you, you can't really play anything but the single-player campaign now. They, people have done hacks around where you network it to your PC and hack a fake Xbox Live hack, but it's it's very hard to play that now that, reminds, player now. Yeah, that reminds me of the Warp Pipe project for Nintendo GameCube where they tried to get the uh, Mario Kart working over a network over the Internet. Yep, and it did work. <laughs> I got it working <laughs> once. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. so that was... That, that to me is the biggest... The, the, but I personally had my hands on that's a pack-in, you know. It's like the ultimate I mean, feely. <laughs> well, well, I'll take that back. There is, uh, you could count the uh, Rock Band set. You know, that's a big box, too. So. Yeah, but I feel uh, like this is way cooler there. than that. Oh, oh, yeah, especially for our group. <laughs> yeah. And yes, to be clear, it's not too hard at all to emulate that um, on a PC. There's an adapter, I think, is like 15 bucks an Xbox One. Uh, Xbox Original. To, yeah, so uh, Xbox to USB. Num- number one. <laughs> yeah, an Xbox original to uh, controller port to USB port 
like I think like ten, fifteen bucks on Amazon. So if if you could get your hands on that controller, you could use it for anything. Yeah, I remember a big deal in kind of the MechWarrior online forums, but before the game actually came out, that people were were adapting the Steel Battalion controller to use for that game, and I could see because. I find the biggest issue for me in like mech games was always the torso twisting, and that you you if you didn't do it you weren't gonna win anything. But it was always very awkward to do if you were using like just a keyboard kind of a thing, or mm-hmm. a joystick that didn't have uh, you, you know, know back in the day you didn't have you didn't have yeah the twist action. As as a um, games tech, I got to work on and play quite often. Um, I can't remember which mech game came in it, but it was a big yellow bubble game you would sit in, and it had full controls for uh, mech. It also had um, um, Crimson Skies, I think, was the flight game, mm-hmm. and the whole bubble would move as you would move, but it had great controls that unfortunately broke all the time because they just weren't built for Chuck E. Cheese's audience to be climbing all up in this thing, but... Um, yeah, yeah, I was, was, gonna a, say was the more, that was the best way to play a mech game, in my opinion, was sitting in the bubble and having it move and twist and turn as you as you were um, navigating around with your with your mech. It was awesome. Oh yeah, having the full motion simulator kind of experience. It, awesome. The only problem was is that it was such a dumbed down version to to you know be an ar- a more arcadey and fit more in the Chuck E. Cheese environment that it wasn't a very complex uh, mech game. Yeah, I feel bad I never got the chance to play those, you know, the, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but, you know, the networked Battletech pods back in the day. They're incredibly rare to find, you know, them in arcades now because they just, the controls broke all the time, and the mechanisms for this one, the sumo ones, broke Mm -hmm. to move the actual pods. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that those would break the the hydraulics or whatever it is they use to move the actual pods would break all the time. They used very expensive motors, six very expensive motors, Mm -hmm. and each very expensive motor had a very expensive control box (laughs) that is what actually failed the most. I've been getting really geeky on you guys. The motors, I never had a motor fail. It was always the motor driver boards that failed, and Hmm. they were also quite expensive. What, were they just build soda in them or something? Um, I, no, actually, the the problem was is just they would overheat, they'd get hot, and just the, the circuits would go bad. What? Um, I don't know, poorly designed or what? But you know, I had those controls. Again, I mean, they're controlling high voltage um, for those motors. That's varying the speeds and stuff. There's a lot of electronic control going on, and there's a lot more than you would get from like a normal PC logic board or something like that. Um, huh. So those motor motor controls failed a lot on, on arcade games. A lot of arcade games had those because they had to compete with Xboxes and Playstations. Right, so it's like you got an extra thing, it moves, right? <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, if they, if they actually moved the whole thing, the motors weren't what failed, it was the, the circuits that controlled them because of controlling the higher voltage. That's mm. No, that's Sorry, that was a Chuck E. Cheese tangent. I apologize. No, that's I love that stuff. Like this is amazing. I, I love having you on these because you have these stories. Yeah, you have a job that a lot of people would really enjoy. Yeah, it's or, or a or great job. Theory, I gotta yeah. say, Do, doesn't pay great. The pay isn't great, but man, it's a fun job. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, went, I went to a convention and this guy was just he he would every hour he he had this CRT hooked up to this uh, I guess you would call it some sort of main machine. And he, I don't know if this is like the proper way you're supposed to store these or not, but he had uh, various motherboards for different arcade games, and he just took them out of this bubble wrap, 
put him on there and just had it exposed so you can see it. And then he, I would be playing Ninja Turtles one moment, and then he said, "Okay, time's up." And then he would put in The Simpsons, and it's just these huge cards. They just keep that on bubble wrap. They were the uh, basically the main boards, and the only thing that that you'd have to do when you would upgrade if you wanted to change your Simpsons. We ha- I've had both Simpsons and uh, TMNT that you just pull out the board, disconnect the, what they call the JAMA connector, and they had a, the same kind of connector, and you could s- just swap out the boards. It was very common in arcade games back then to just swap the board or change the game. You, you, if you've ever been to arcades, I bet they, you've all seen an arcade game where the, the side of the cabinet was a different game than what was actually on the marquee. So they just swapped out the board and had different ROMs on it, and boom, different yeah, game. The upgrade would come with the, the board and a marquee, and sometimes maybe a control panel if they used slightly different... It wasn't just a joystick and some buttons. Do, when, when you were working with arcades, did you ever get any mod chips that you had to install? Because I remember hearing stuff about uh, the the Star Wars arcade game uh, when they wanted it when they went from uh, Star Wars to Empire Strikes Back. Stores just bought like a mod chip that overrid a certain like part of the motherboard, and then suddenly uh, it be- it became Empire Strikes uh, Back with uh, AT 80s and a snow speeder. And I also heard that. There were other mod chips for Street Fighter that were custom, and that, that led to the uh, release of Hyper Street Fighter. Did you yeah, ever have they, uh, something like that? It was just the, the EEPROM. You just pop off the EEPROM, the, the chip that has the actual software on it, and you pop off the EEPROM and pop on a new one. Um, the, the only EEPROM chips that I've ever traded out was a um, Pac-Man. The old Pac-Man played slow, and the new, the new chip was actually a, a CPU and software in one chip. And you could get a new chip. Um, you can buy them easily on the internet. They just call them the the fast chip. And it just makes Pac-Man move faster and feels more up updated. That's all. That's the only difference. But I've had people tell me that the Pac-Man game was broken because it was running slow. And <laughs> oh, now you just the, got the original one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I would say, well, I can fix that for you, but I have to get the upgrade and that you know, thirty bucks online and pop it in, and you're good to go. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, and I know that. And that I think that that Star Wars game was cool because it was actually running on a vector monitor, if I remember right. Uh huh. Yeah. I one of my dreams is to buy one of the original sit-down uh, vector Star Wars games for my dad because he freaks out about one of those every time he sees one. And I've only ever I've only ever played it emulated on a computer, but there was one time I got to play it for real. Um, I never actually played a vector graphics arcade bo- uh, machine. Uh, until I went to the Philadelphia Games Convention, mm-hmm. and I was blown away of just how pretty vector graphics are in person. With it, just like I played Asteroids, I'm like, wow, this is so much more gorgeous than any other Asteroids I've played. And then I went to play Star Wars, and I can see why my dad had fallen in love with it when, and he was in school. Well, it's so intense, and it actually like burns your retinas a little right, bit. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, and the reason why it's so sharp is because it's not drawing any sort of pixels or dots or anything. It 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 draws the line that that the game wants to draw. So even though it's simple polygons and simple lines, they are all they are like super sharp lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, and those monitors, you know, they're still you know in demand for repair and stuff because it's hard to buy new monitors, but they're actually not hard to repair at all. All depends if uh, what fails is. Typically, the flyback transformer, and that's something you can repair pretty easily. But if uh, you need to realign it, that you know, realign the electromagnets, that becomes a little bit harder. But most crucially, if the phosphorus layer 
uh, decays, which it does over time, then, you know, you're, well, you're screwed, basically. And well, we, but just, they, we, just got a, we just got an engineering lesson from Tomer. <laughs> well, and they, and they didn't decay as much as on CRT monitors because it never drove the whole screen. It only drove what you wanted, you know, to, to display, so it drew the polygons. And a lot of them were not quite black and white, but they'd be like red and white or green and white. So there was, uh, it wasn't very hard to line at all, as opposed to, you know, color monitors, you've got to line the three different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the a lot of older CRTs had like uh, color artifacts where you'd see, you know, one pixel with a slight, uh, you know, reddish hue to its left and a, and a bluish hue to its right. That means that the, uh, you know, that the shadow, either the shadow mask is shit, which happens for cheap monitors, or more commonly that it's slightly misaligned. And I have a I have a Miss Pac-Man Galaga machine right now that um, and all the ghosts and, and Miss Pac-Man have a red shadow because the red is slightly off aligned. But you know, on that game, it doesn't look too bad. On I've got a I got a Street Fighter Alpha three where one quadrant of the screen the all three colors come on a line and that looks bad. And that is very very hard to line CRTs. But those old rasters didn't you know didn't have those problems. It was they're much easier to repair. Brian, well, I always remember I had this one friend who had this like you know he had the, the, his CRT monitor and he thought he was super cool because he had these really massive stereo speakers on either side of it and he's like yeah but my monitor is purple I don't understand why it's purple. Yeah, that totally messes <laughs> up the the gauzing effect or whatever. Somebody yeah. said Brian. Yeah, yeah. Have you did you see the recent uh, video where um, a guy gets Quake One rendered on a, like a 1950s radar scope? No, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It, like it shows like the game runs on a PC that like extrapolates the vec- the uh, the uh, the vertexes and the polygons, and like he puts them in an algorithm that talks to the radar scope and it scrambles the radar scope into a fairly a, a fairly poor image but very discernible uh, polygons and room. You can walk right through it and everything. It's, it that's was insane awesome. looking. That is really awesome. Yeah, I just Googled that. I'll check that out when we're done. I think Brian has fodder here for a really good podcast, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, tech, Sealy is, is the whole thing about the arcade industry, is to compete with what people had at home. There had to be something different to put your hands on, you know, whether it's a gun for, you know, on-rail shooter, or we talked about the sit-down cabinets, you know, the raster monitors you didn't have at home. So it's very, very slightly related. So I, I um, there was uh, I think it was on uh, Lost Treasures of Gaming podcast, although I'm not sure, uh, where they discussed an arcade cabinet that had quite literally what could only be described as an anvil designed to uh, based on certain game. It just basically smashes against the side of the cabinet to give the game an extra kind of physical visceral kick to it. And I just found that combination batshit insane and just awesome. <laughs> if, you, if, if, if you ever run across Qbert, what they did on Qbert is they just put a knocker that's from uh, old pinball games in the cabinet. So if Qbert if falls off the edge, um, a split second after he falls, it activates the knocker to give the effect that Qbert fell into the cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> and, I didn't uh, know that. It's really awesome to find a Qbert that has that still working, and um, I don't have any Qberts on my route, but there's an arcade uh, in, in Kansas City where I live called the Up Down that has just tons of 
classic arcade cabinets, and there, Qbert, the knocker still works, and it's great. And it's funny in a way that does kind of tie into you know to to what we're talking about because it, it 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 again creates kind of like a a visceral physical experience, right? So you know aside from we're talking about feelies and things that are packed in with games, but also if you have these arcade games that provide you with physical feedback, that's actually pretty cool as well. And well, it's kind I suppose of a, if we go that route, we might as well mention the the kind of early days VR, you know, Amiga based VR machine things. That's like the ultimate feeling. You basically stand on a platform, you put on this weird headset and a glove, and you you know, walk around in virtual reality. It's mm-hmm. crap, but it's you know, it's a feeling, and it's old school, so there you are. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting the ways that you can interpret all of this. The, the only 3D, um, not, actually not 3D, it's a lie, <laughs> but the only VR that really survived in arcades was a cabinet called Global VR 3, and the way it worked is that it had a rod um, coming off the top of the cabinet and then a helmet hanging on that rod. The point of that rod is it held the camera stationary on, like, you know, X, Y axis so the game didn't have to take forward, back, left, or right movement into um, account. It just sensed when you rotated and when you looked up and down, and that's it. And that gave it a very realistic feel when you're looking through the helmet, but the screen you were looking at was actually just a... a single image screen. It wasn't 3D, but because the movement felt so real, everyone who played it swore they were playing a 3D VR game. Hmm. That's pretty sweet. And that was very hard to repair because the wire harness in that moving helmet rig always broke after the movement. When when wires move, bend back and forth and back and forth and back and forth all day long, eventually the wires just give out. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, think about you know, it's a, if you want to, if you do want to break a wire, that's all you have to do. Or just think of it like a you know, a, yep. a more bendable paper clip. You know, it's the same same idea, right? You keep bending well, it. Apparently, that didn't make sense to the engineers of the game, so us techs had to deal with that. I felt like it was a very easily fixed that could have been prevented. Well, it, for some games that have very little going through a moving joint, they just do a um, like a hinge with with a wire that turns, uh, I'm not describing this right, but like an axis, uh, um, what they call They call it a brush, a brush on a moving disc. Mm-hmm. But oh, so the problem is that there was so much going through for the VGA signal for the monitor, um, it wouldn't be practical for that, so they just had basically a VGA cable that went into the monitor. Yeah, VGA cables are not known for being, you know, super oh, flexible. The cables are actually incredibly sturdy. It's the connectors that are shit. It's the DB15 connectors. The pins always, you know, get uh, pulled out or they get uh, bent out of shape, and it's really, really easy to get, like, a, a mismatched connection. And the funny thing about that is because it's an analog connection, there's all our... Uh, Interesting. Like sometimes you would lose all red on your display, or the sink would occasionally fritz out, or all sorts of really, really weird stuff that can happen with analog connections. Yeah, and that was all happened with that game because of the uh, the moving, twisting VGA cable. Yeah, oh, cool. So all right. Well, if uh, oh, you got, one, got another one there, uh, Tomer? Uh, well, I do have another one. I just wanted to circle back to uh, to the Dune soundtrack that. Yes. that I mentioned earlier. So, first thing, a little bragging rights. Here, a mint copy. Aha! Correct. Uh, and that copy, Norman Leg. And uh, 
Beyond that, the, the second anecdote was uh, uh, a few years back, what happened was this, uh, I guess, eBay reseller, whatever, you know, the, the kind of people that often try to buy, like, bulk, uh, uh, bulk retro stuff from, like, clo uh, shops that close down or, like, uh, uh, you know, old warehouses that do a clearing sale and that sort of thing. Um, Actually bought the entire stock from a from an old uh, games and software shop that went out of business, and they found this completely new old stock of you know a few dozen copies of uh, doing a spice opera soundtrack, and they uh, kind of progressively put them on eBay uh, for what was it like two three months until they all ran out. And uh, I, I got my copy for what I consider to be a really good price compared to a lot of what the other ones have sold, and that was three digits in U.S. dollars. So it's a, right. still a real collector's item, but it was, as far as I'm concerned, it was worth everything. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if no one has any other games, I have one... Uh, sort of mainstream one and one esoteric thing to mention. Go for it. Right, so the mainstream one is, uh, I only know the CD version, but I think it was the same with the floppy version of uh, Betrayal of Trondor, uh, which is kind of an early, uh, pretty pretty famous or infamous, depending on who you ask, uh, PC RPG from sort of the mid early mid-90s. Uh, and that box... I don't have it here to showcase. It's still in storage at my parents, but that box came with just a, a ton of, uh, you know, supplemental material. It was, first of all, it, it weighed a ton. The, the box must have weighed, you know, four or five pounds. Um, it had the CD in it. It had a pretty thick manual. It had two mats. One was... Uh, kind of moderately sized and functional. The other one was just really, really insanely big and highly decorative, and you know, probably intended to be uh, to be framed and hung on a wall or something. Um, and I don't even remember what else it had. It had just a ton of supplementary material. Uh, and the only reason I ever found out about it, because I'm not actually a fan of the game, is because uh, Moby Games, the the tried and true game database. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day, had this uh, thing going where, in early days, if you accumulated enough kind of contribution points uh, over a certain span of time, then they just mail you a game from uh, Jim Leonard's collection, uh, uh, you know, a game of your choice from whatever, however many options there were. And I picked that one, and when I got it. I had never actually played the game. I just heard about it. But uh, I must have spent a day just poring over all the supplemental material in the box because that was, you know, it was it was not a collector's edition or anything, but it, it was either intended to be one or the, the production company just went insane and just stuck everything they could think of in that box. And that was actually pretty cool, but, uh, you know, uh, it's just an example of kind of an early days, uh, early days box with lots and lots and lots of different material included. And uh, the other thing that I want to mention is not actually a feely, but is, is something uh, 
actually pre-existed. So, uh, do you guys remember uh, the old, uh, you know, games by an old company called Cinemaware? Yes. Right. So I imagine at least two, three people will uh, would you know nod. Uh, so the the musician they were predominantly working with is a um, I think is an American expat living in France, or there was something. Um, you know, he he was living in Paris at the time where when when I actually had any contact with him, and he's called Jim Cuomo, and he wrote the soundtrack for Defender of the Crown and SDI. He's a really really you know talented musician in the early days of of kind of uh, cinematic gaming, and uh, what happened was he uh, ended up producing uh, uh, an album called uh, Gameplay. Let me let me link to Discogs here, um, and that is. A collection of Amiga sound, like uh, soundtracks from Amiga versions of games that he worked on, uh, superimposed with actual instruments. So you have like real saxophones, real drums for certain tracks. Uh, it's a pretty unusual thing, and it's a very early kind of uh, computer game project that took itself pretty computer game music project that t- took itself pretty seriously. Uh, and I actually have a, a signed copy of that also in storage, uh, which is pretty cool that the, the musician himself, uh, um, I, I contacted him to find out if I have permission to post recordings of the Amiga version of Defender of the Crown on my website, which is still out, by the way, if you're interested. Um, so we ended up, you know, ended up uh, uh, swapping mails on occasion and, he mentioned this thing, and I asked him for a copy, and he actually signed it and sent it to me, which was really, really, you know, really nice. He's a, an incredibly nice guy, and some of these versions are actually pretty interesting. So, you know, I, I don't know that this is a feely as such, but it it seems like a pretty esoteric kind of game tie-in that's worth mentioning because of how unusual it is. Um, I haven't found a version online that you can play, but I'll try and have a rip out and, and try and contact Jim again to find out if he's cool with me posting the, the rips on a website somewhere just so you can, you know, for historical purposes, obviously. That'd be great. That just came to mind during the, during the hangout. Cool. All right, well, unless anyone has anything they really, really, really want to throw in there, I guess we should probably start wrapping up. Oh, you don't want to go for another hour? We could. <laughs> Unfortunately, my in-laws are coming over for dinner. So oh, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, my in-laws are coming over for dinner. Now I mean, it's recorded. We get along very, very well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah, anymore. Clip. You have the clip. You have a gotcha. <laughs> Captured forever on uh, on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that that was that was awesome, guys. A lot of really cool stuff. I'm glad we got to see. I wasn't sure if people were gonna actually pull stuff out, and we got to see a lot of cool stuff. We got to learn. Oh, that was most, a treat. Of my, most of my cool shit is t- like still at my parents' side and, and completely inaccessible from here, which is a crying shame. But uh, I I do I do have one I do oh. have one last thing. Sure. Um, it's not really a pack-in from anything recently, but I do have with me that. Um, that Higara mothership that oh. I got. Oh. If I, I could bring that out real quick. Sure. Can you, 
Can you repeat the name, though? Because I didn't get it. It's the Higarin Mothership from Homeworld. Oh, right, right, right. Cool. I'll be right back. Yeah, and that's well, actually one that. that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I would say, what grabs that, Craig? I do think you won the uh, the show and tell section of this uh, podcast. Definitely, Craig always wins the show and tell. Last time you you brought out a freaking sound blaster. Like, what, what did I win? Yeah. <laughs> what did I? What did I? What was so special that I brought out? Oh, How many different things did you have? I mean, when when Tomer was talking about that guide, you had it. You pulled it out right there. Uh, here, here it is. <laughs> you you had unopened shirts. You you had all the maps. You had all the What do you mean? What did you win? Come on, man. And, and the sad thing is, is this is nothing. I mean, uh, the from the last thing, uh, the collection that I used to have that I sold, I would have so much more. So every, it seems like everything we talked about, you had it, man. <laughs> Well, let me uh, let me link you to an album on Flickr uh, of some of uh, some of the the game related stuff that I've been collecting over the years. Uh, you know, I took these images like years and years ago, and most of that stuff is still at my parents' place, um, just for bragging rights. If my parents hadn't sold their house, I still have all my stuff, but I threw it out like an idiot. Mm, yeah, I think a lot of us did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I I'll never need that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's just taking up space. Yes, that was like a month before I started the podcast. Oh. Man, <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Look at this thing. You got toxic go full screen. Oh, I should have. I should have gone over these pictures to begin with. <laughs> Oh yeah, there's that Dune picture you were talking about, or the Dune box you were talking about. Oh yeah, that that particular box is in terrible shape, and the seventh guest one is even worse. But you know, I was a kid. But what did I know? But the star, star control two stuff you can you can see in uh, in one of the pictures, uh, everything there, including the the star map, the manuals, oh, yeah. the back ends, all that shit. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna link this in the in the notes. There's a lot of stuff we talked about in here. Hey, look, hey, can you lock Martin full screen so I can see that uh, that chip better? Yes. We've got a Tomer's address now. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? Now the the thing about this thing is that oh. the USB power cable uh, is super short, so I can't show it to you and turn it on at the same time. I don't have to get extension. But this is probably one of the coolest things I've ever gotten from a video game. And where did and where did it come in? It, it came in. It came in the special edition Homeworld remastered. Uh, box set. Oh, okay. And it came also came with this amazing art book and uh, this really slick uh, Higara keychain. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah, yeah this is, a lot of stuff. That was really, really cool. Kind of makes oh, me yeah. wish I played the game so I can really, really appreciate just how cool that is. Well, it's Dude. available on Steam. Hey, if you pre-order, <laughs> if you pre-order uh, Sands of Karak, you get Homeworld Remastered for free. There you go. Uh, yeah, but I wouldn't like. Why would I pre-order the thing if I've never played any of its? Because prequel? it's a prequel, and you and while you wait for the prequel to come out, you can play the new game. The, there the you go. Games. Done and done. That's why you would do it. <laughs> Mumble. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay, here's here's one. Um, Thanks for letting me share I that with you guys. Forgot about that. I I think this game might have been mentioned in at least. One podcast might have been uh, Sport Ways of Time. Oh shit! It's uh, Dark Legions by SSI. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? 
So, Jack, let me let me link you here. Uh, yeah, let me link to this particular image. It came with a set of collectible trading cards uh, that mimic the the characters in the game. Pretty cool. Here, let's see. Let me present that. Wow, Tomer, your collection is pretty impressive. Yeah, Tomer. Absolutely. I am super jealous. <laughs> of course, I'd have nowhere to store it, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, that's the tough part, right? Hey, Joe, could you log that screen in for a second? Yeah, should be uh, should be showing. There you go. Yeah, Very that's nice. cool. I love all that. Like, all that stuff is just so awesome. Like, yeah, like, I even wanted to mention, you know, that we were talking about Homeworld. I just wanted to mention the Homeworld manual, I think, is, you know, one of the last great manuals. Yeah, the manual is actually reprinted in this art book. And there's just, yeah, there's so much great background and, you know, the history of Hagara, which, you know, it, it's it's nice to know, but it's not like you need to know it to play the game, but it just makes the, the world so much richer. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's just so cool. It's a really good game as well. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's very, very cool. It's like Archon. I can't believe you waited so long to play it. I have one more thing I'll pull out before okay. we go. Hold on. One more thing. We'll, we'll end off with a, with a bang here. Uh-oh. Ah! <laughs> Let's see, Craig's rooting around in his closet. I, I love his, his like magical closet back there. Definitely got like a, a lock of John Romero's hair or something. <laughs> I imagine it's like a TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just reaches in, pulls out something. Okay. Not a pack-in. Not a um, not anything related to PC gaming. It's computer. Uh, it's Atari 2600. So I think Tomer will get uh, an appreciation out of this. But this is an original um, cardboard stand-up from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, that's pretty cool. Kick ass. That is amazing. I've had this thing now for a long time. <laughs> um, oh my god, that's 30, so cool. Years. Yeah. Thirty-four years. Get the hell out of here. Oh, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's from that's from the year I was born. That's from an era of gaming where we needed art so that we knew what to visualize the square on the screen was. Yeah, we were right. talking about that way back at the beginning. You know, it's kind of like it gave you. You know, this is these these big blobby pixels. This is what they're supposed to be in your head. You know. Yeah, that's how we knew the duck was actually a dragon in adventure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, exactly. So yeah, that's so yeah, guys. Thanks, thanks so much. So much cool stuff that we got to see during this, uh, during this one, during this one. So uh, I guess that'll do. Unless anyone has any other really cool things to show, I don't know. I think we're. Uh, uh, this was great and fun as usual. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks everyone, and uh, I guess next week I'll finally get around to putting out the uh, the episode on Sim Tower, which uh, I'm having a lot of fun playing, and uh, I'm going to oh, put yeah. out some video on that. I'll, I'll actually, for the first time in a long time, I'll be able to send you an email three times in a row about a game I played. Yeah, I, I was actually impressed. Even in the manual, there's a bunch of information about... Uh, I didn't know that it was originally a game that was released in Japan, and then Maxis brought it over, and yeah, so there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about about Sim Tower, so we're going to do that next time. That. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a Japanese game. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> there we go. So it's a teaser. There you yeah. go. So everyone, stay tuned for next time for Sim Tower. But uh, thanks a lot, you guys. Again, thanks to Trolls, with, you know, for popping in, even though he was, uh, you know, I thought he was sick, but it turns out he's just hungover. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs>
with Otto. It's all good. I'm not feeling super great myself, so maybe I was a little more low energy this week than, or this time around than I have been the last times. But uh, either way, it worked out really well. Thanks to various people for coming in, uh, you know, for, via cars and mobile devices and, and whatever. It's uh, we, we live in the future. Yep. Indeed. Kept dropping out, but hey. <laughs> ah, it worked out. Okay, so... Uh, See you later, man. Yeah, that's that. Thanks, everyone, and uh, I will kill the broadcast, and uh, we'll see you all next time for Sim Tower. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. See you. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join the unity.